This is Beyond Busy. I'm Graham Alcott. I'm the author of a number of books, including the global bestseller, How to Be a Productivity Ninja. And I'm the founder of Think Productive. We help people to make space for what matters and get more done. And we partner with some of the world's leading companies who share our mission to transform the world of work. Beyond Busy is where I explore the often messy truths and contradictory relationships around topics like work-life balance, happiness and success and explore with interesting people what makes them tick. In short, this is where we ask the bigger questions about work. My guest today is James Routledge. James is a mental health advocate and author of the book Mental Health at Work. After burning out at 24 when his first business failed, he founded Sanctus, who are on a mission to help companies invest in the mental health of their employees. In this episode, James talks openly about his experiences. We cover some of the myths of mental health, how to manage boundaries, and how to question some of the conventional narratives on mental health. It's a really important conversation. This is James Routledge. I'm with James Routledge. How are you? Hey, Graham. Yeah, really nice to um, have you on. Let's start by um, just talking about your story. What I really want to um, focus on in this conversation is mental health. And your story is really interesting. Um, and uh, uh, I saw it written down somewhere that you uh, basically described your early career as uh, burned out at 24. Um, and you were running a business at the time. So do you want to just describe the the lead up to that burnout and what what did that feel like for you? Yeah, I went to university at 19, like many people in the UK, um, mainly because I didn't know what else I, I wanted to do at that age. And university was the next obvious stepping stone. I'd had a year out, done some traveling and picked a pretty vanilla course, history and politics, just because and was quickly quite bored at university and wasn't stimulated intellectually or academically or emotionally or stimulated at all really other than going out and having a good time with my mates which I very much enjoyed and really fell into the world of of startups and entrepreneurship I got very excited by the idea of or the possibility of building my own company that could you know create a life for myself I could create wealth for myself I could create a certain amount of freedom for myself and I remember uh, another entrepreneur that I followed on social media at this point uh, putting a photo up of them in Bali with their laptop looking out onto a beach and that image just epitomized freedom for me and I remember very much wanting that so kind of yeah, set out to to try and build that really. So it was it was quite um it was naive in, in some respects going on that going on that sort of very early startup journey and wanting to build my own business. There was some parts of those motivations which were quite pure in terms of wanting freedom and wanting something else that kind of wasn't the corporate world. A lot of my friends were starting to look at grad grad schemes and working for big banks or big accountancy firms or big law firms. Yet there was another part of that pursuit, which was what I'd describe as ego-fueled, really wanting to, you know, feel or look special or look cool or look interesting amongst my peers or being able to make money or uh, create this status for myself. And and really that 
probably took over in the end. I, you know, the business that I started with uh, my friends, George from university was, was quite shallow. There was no real purpose to the business. It was a, it was a social network for live sport. There was no real attachment or passion there. It was, it was just something mm. to do. And then I landed in this culture, this startup culture, which was all, all go. Yeah. You know, work hard, play hard, hustle hard, move fast and break things. Yeah. Kind of being young and impressionable, very much bought into that of like, that's how we succeed. We persevere, we push, we stick our chest out, we, we blag, we, you know, you fake it till you make it, all this kind of dragon's den, yeah. the apprentice yeah. kind of culture. And yeah, burned out at the, at the as a result. I had nothing left. Like I expended all of myself trying to pursue something that, yeah, wasn't kind of wasn't even really what I wanted in the end. Actually, mm, so, yeah. yeah, wound up feeling wound up feeling very stressed and, and very anxious. Yeah, and how much of the that burning out do you think was, you know, so obviously you've got a motivation to try and improve yourself to try and build a business and as soon as you've got a business partner and you've got investors you've got other people that you want to show up for and please and 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 get everything right for and then also you mentioned that idea of the hustle culture like i'm just really curious about how much you think that um you know that idea of hustling hard and if it's not working just work harder how much how much of that external influence was sort of playing into you reaching burnout yeah, a lot. I would say. I think if there was a if there's a balance of what was my own input into that burnout, I'd say it was probably thirty forty percent, and then the rest was was kind of systemic. I think, and me attaching myself to that mindset of you know looking around all the role models I saw, and yeah, they all seemed to be working like seventy eighty hour weeks. They seemed to never switch off, and so I thought that was the way I needed to be i think in in the end though i think there's um and you know i've been burned out multiple times in my life like i I wouldn't claim to say i've only felt what i would describe as burnout once i think i had one major episode of feeling completely burned out and exhausted and kind of really really feeling like i needed to run away as a result of it but often for me when i feel burned out it's it's all it's not just that i'm physically tired from the volume and quantity of tasks or work I'm doing, it's often because I'm not I'm not being filled up. Like there's no fuel there. And I think actually for me, you know, in that first business, it wasn't so much that I was physically exhausted from the sheer volume of work. It was because I was running on empty. Like there was no purpose that was guiding me or fueling me every day. And then I guess it's a bit of a cliche, isn't it? For, you know, you hear a lot from, you know, sort of entrepreneurial influencers and, and people who are talking about not just entrepreneurship, but work as well, that find work that fits your purpose. And I guess that idea of having, working on the thing that, you know, can you, you can expend energy on it, but it's also filling you up and that being a, a virtuous circle. That's why that's so important, isn't it? Like if you're spending all of your time working on something that doesn't feel like it has a purpose then i suppose the flip side of that is you've got to spend also a lot of time filling yourself up somewhere else and kind of 
convincing yourself that it's the right thing to just be spending time on yeah i mean in my experience there are there are lots of different places that i can restore my energy i might i might my cup might be filled from the sheer joy of what i'm working on because it's so purposeful for me obviously also i can feel rested and restored through rest yeah yeah, (laughs) absolutely resting so i think there are multiple multiple facets to it but yeah i think that's you know personally for me that's why doing work that i find purposeful and and meaningful is is really important to me because um i know i'm probably going to put a lot of myself into my work i'm I'm that way inclined so it's kind of got to be worth it and that will yeah give me the energy to keep going yeah and you've been you know really i think what's interesting about the book which we'll come on to but also just the way you put yourself out there online is like you're really open about your own mental health um so was that like always a really conscious thing for you i know you started a a blog around it like what was the what was the motivation to really like talk about it and and have that conversation initially well i didn't for so long that so that's probably the first thing i definitely didn't grow up being open about how i felt or articulating my emotions so all the way up until that that major sort of burnout and you know i was on sky news yesterday and the guy called it a breakdown whatever you want to call Mm. it you know up until that point i'd never articulated or talked about how i felt i I don't think i'd ever been vulnerable really i don't think i'd ever named an emotion i don't think i was really in touch with emotions feelings of sadness or anger all the way possibly to feelings of joy and, and sort of hopefulness so you know i've never really done it so i suppose for me now i've experienced the power and the transformational change of taking the time to uh, become aware of how i'm feeling uh, articulate it and share it with others and then through coaching for example or therapy um working through some of those things if needed to and, and i've seen the benefit of that and you know, it's been, it's been a complete, uh, it's changed the course of my life and uh, taken my life in, in directions that I would never have expected. I would never have expected to have written a book on mental health. That was never something that was on my radar. It was never something I felt like was laid out in front of me. Yet, because of that exploratory process of articulating how you feel, I find that working in that way opens up lots of paths in your life that you you may not have you may not have typically been aware aware out there for you yeah and you know we're both you know white males both from the midlands as well um and there's there's a line you have about stoke which is something like it's the last bastion of northern machismo or something which i really like but why do you think some people do do find it much harder to talk about emotions you know i'm i'm with you on the you know i i see the value of coaching and therapy in my own life um but there are an awful lot of people you know in our position particularly men actually who just don't who don't open up or talk about that stuff or find it really difficult to be vulnerable like why why do you think that is it's a very complex issue isn't it with lots of sort of intersectionality and you know you've you've already you've just mentioned 
and I write about this in the book and it was one of my first white one star reviews, um, which was which was quite enjoyable if of, of me saying, Look, I I'm in the privileged position where I'm a white man. So actually when I talk about my mental health, I often get a round of applause. Thank mm. you. Thank you, yeah. James. Yeah. Thank you for saying something that we're all struggling to say. Thank you for giving others the permission to do so. Now, perhaps, and I'm in the startup world, right? So I work in the startup environment, typically open-minded, typically quite progressive. Now, let's say I'm not a white man working in the startup environment and I'm someone somewhere else me talking about my mental health or how I feel could, could mean me losing my job. So there's a real privilege um, for me there that I'm well aware of. And I think fundamentally, though, whoever and wherever you are, the reason we don't open up is because we don't feel safe mm, or we yeah. don't feel comfortable to. And often that is through fear of, of judgment um, or fear of dismissal. And when I say dismissal, I don't just mean being dismissed from your job. That's one one way. I mean, just dismissal of of not being met, of like someone, you know, you saying something really important for you to someone and, you know, it just goes completely over their head. It's like, oh, do you want another beer, mate? You know, I think that's also the the risk. There's always a risk in being vulnerable. Mm. It never gets easier. Um, so being vulnerable for you might be saying, you know, I'm depressed or being vulnerable might be, you know, I, I don't like my job. There's all these, all these different ways in which we might want to share and express how we're feeling. So I think fundamentally for, for whoever you are, whatever your gender, your ethnic background, your sexual orientation, whatever it, when, you know, wherever, whoever you are, I think really the risk in ever sharing how you're feeling or opening up is, is the risk of, of, of being judged and, and not being kind of really seen for what you're saying and so you're on a mission around mental health and so we're going to talk in a minute about mental health at work um but your company as well sanctus is doing some incredible stuff in um this whole space as well do you want to tell us what sanctus is and um like what it does and just just tell us the story when i first started experiencing the benefit of sharing my story and being more open about how I was feeling. I felt like this whole world opened up in front of me of feelings and emotions and this kind of like self-development world and this, you know, my inner psychology and everything. Um, I started working with a coach initially to begin that exploration and begin some of that work and just saw the humongous benefit in proactively taking time to talk through and work through and process some of the challenges in my life um so five years ago those challenges were you know i've shut down a company i feel really embarrassed i feel really gutted about it i'm heartbroken what do i do next where do i go who am i now and working with a coach really helped me to yeah move through some of those questions and make some changes in my life and kind of grow up and or just grow and sanctus was born out of the desire to I suppose, offer the experiences that I'd been having to more and more people. So we started a mission to inspire people to work on their mental health like we do our physical health and practically support that through providing coaching in workplaces. So we'll partner with a workplace and employees 
in that company will be able to access Sanctus Coaching, which is a space, impartial, confidential space for them to work with a coach on any of these thresholds or challenges in their life. And it's a very unique space that is rare in our society today where you can bring your, your doubts, your fears, your hopes, your longings. It's not a conversation with a mate down the pub. It's not a conversation with your mum on the phone. It's not a conversation with your manager. It's a conversation with a coach who's there literally just to support you. So mm. it's a really, it can be a really life-changing product and a really unique product. And um, yeah, we work with about a hundred different businesses right now. And, and we've just raised, raised a, a decent amount of investment to, to scale that and, and do more. So I bought an all born out of my experience really. And then the experience of others, as I shared my story, I met other people that resonated and, and we grew a community and a team of people that are all on the same mission. I'm guessing the answer is good, but just describe the difference in the feeling with I'm now working on something that has a real purpose to it. And, you know, as opposed to what you had before, that must feel good, I, I'm imagining. Yeah, much better and, and much more sustainable. You know, it's, you can keep pushing, I think that, you know, don't get me wrong, like you can push and push and push and push and you can push through even when you're not loving something. You, you know, we're all very capable to persevere. Yeah, it's very hard and, you know, can result in, in burning out or mm. blowing up or whatever you want to call it. So yeah, working on something that I'm innately motivated by for myself, there's that selfish desire of like, I want to solve this problem for me. And then there's the, um, you know, the feeling of contribution, the feeling of con contributing to the world in a, in an impactful way and, and actually just having some like meaningful change on people and on the world. Um, you know, we've got a, a feedback space where anyone on the team can go in and look at some of the most recent feedback from people who've had Sanctus coaching sessions and it makes the heart swell every time. It's it's mm. real people, you know, who've had real moments of connection in their day um, with themselves and with someone else. And yeah, and that feels, that feels really good. I think the honest truth though, that you know, a lot of people who work in uh, kind of vocational spaces might not admit is that there's a dark side to it as well. There's a there's a shadow side of of you know working on something that feels very noble because there can be a feeling of never enough. It's like mm. you know, one company, Sanctus, one person, me cannot cannot solve the global mental health crises. Um, nor can we, nor can we provide coaching to seven billion people on the planet. We can give it a good go. Um, so the, there becomes other stories, I think, that come into your head about why you can't stop or why you can't switch off. You know, we need to do more. We can never say no um, because someone always needs help. So yeah, there's. It's not all. It's not all. Uh, it's not all roses. Yeah, like I've got a few friends who work in. Um, you know charity uh, organizations or social work and that sort of feeling of almost like compassion fatigue isn't it where it's like I feel like I need to give 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 because me taking the night off and me working on my own rest and recuperation is probably at the expense of someone in a much worse situation and the guilt of that yeah, yeah it's, it's a, a huge really huge um issue for a lot of people and I think in um 
what I've observed from a couple of people in social work is that you kind of end up, you get a couple of different types of social worker, right? You get the ones who are very heart driven. And if they don't like really look after themselves um, and make that an, a really big priority, they just burn out repeatedly. Or you get the ones who actually their way of coping with it is to go the other way and to just become procedure driven. And so, it, you know, you almost have to put, if I'm following the rules, I'm doing what I'm told. So I don't invest as much emotionally. And that's like the other way to, to survive it. But I do think there's something, yeah, there is that dark side, isn't there, to, um, to working with purpose. Um, yeah, I like, I like that terminology. Let's talk a little bit about the book. So Mental Health at Work, um, part of the, um, the Penguin Business Experts um, series. And um, what I really liked in the book, there's a couple of things that I wanted to talk about. One was the, the mental health myths that you talk about in the book. So um, do you want to talk about some of the myths of, of mental health? Yeah, see if I can remember them. Without, without <laughs> I've got them written the down up. if you want to, if you want me to. No, I, that was a really, it's a re, it was a really important section of the book for me. And, and, you know, working in the mental health space for the last five years and going from, you know, someone who had no idea what mental health was. That was one of the first things I talk about in the book is like, you know, my expertise is is literally just my inexpertise. That that's what makes me yeah. credible. You know, yeah. I I am you. I am the reader. I uh, you know, I know what it feels like to be scared and confused and not really understand these big feelings and not know how it's going to be received when I talk to someone in a work environment. But also wanting something to be different at the same time and all those conflicting emotions. And I just found over the years, there are some, there were just some sort of like platitudes about mental health that are just great misconceptions. Like mm. they've, they've grown and grown over the year, over the years, whether it's through media, culture, film, TV, you know, whatever it might be. And they're just plain wrong. You know, there's just some stuff that's just like plain wrong, like down to one of the things I talk about often is, you know, the language around mental health. So someone will say something, someone, someone will like just use the wrong, like they'll just say words that make no sense. Like, oh yeah, he had, you know, someone will say something like, oh, he has mental health. Yeah, he does. Mm -hmm. We all do. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like this, basically the thing, the biggest misconception that we still have to work really hard to kind of transition away from is that mental health is mental illness. Mental health is not mental illness. Mental ill health is one part of mental health, which is one part of health. So, you know, mental health is the full, is our full range of emotion. It's, it's all of who we are, not just our suffering or depression or anxiety or, or suicidal thoughts, for example, which you might class on a, on one end of a spectrum of mental health. And I think then the other big one, if that's one of the biggest, the other big one that I write about and talk to is that, I mean, again, this sentence makes no sense, is that mental health is weakness. Yeah. Now, again, from a language perspective, that sentence makes no sense. It's, it's nonsense. Um, you know, we all have mental health. So does that mean we're all weak? Maybe it does at times. Um, but I think there's this great conception or misconception that when we are to be vulnerable or were to talk about how we feel, 
in any capacity, that is a sign of weakness. And I think that's born out of you know, born out of the industrial revolution. That was probably, that that feeling was probably mm. began two hundred years ago and you know, we're here in twenty twenty two and we're still living from that place when the world is so different and and actually time and time and time again do we all see that when we see someone share something, be vulnerable, be honest, it's it's a sign of strength, not weakness. You know, how many times do we see a sports person cry or a, a great leader or a actor or a musician sort of really say something from the heart and we applaud them and we're really thankful for it. So same in, in workplaces, you know, I've seen CEOs stand up in front of their team and talk about the darkest times in their life and their employees love them for it and respect them for it. So I think this whole vulnerability is weakness line is 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 dying and, and has to die and that's one of the biggest misconceptions around mental health it's a really hard one particularly when you're in like a leadership role or where like where you've got people who are relying on you and you know that that myth is out there you know i've had it myself where i've had periods of depression and generally what's happened with that has been that Elena, who's the MD of the business, I'll I'll be really open with her and I'll say, hey, I'm just having one of those days today. I'm just staying in bed and I'll just stay in bed for a couple of days, basically. And then it will just kind of pass and then I'll sort of get back to normal. But the rest of the team, the rest of the organization kind of has no idea. And I don't, you know, and, and sort of like certainly years ago when that was happening more, I was much more reluctant to talk about that because it just felt like when you're in that position where people's confidence in your business depends on their confidence in you, you have to, you know, really kind of, uh, you really have to kind of articulate yourself as someone who is not weak and is in control and is able to deal with stuff and is resilient. And like those things almost become a reflection of the confidence of the business, don't they? So. What, what do you say to that? Like if people are in roles where, you know, you let's say you've got 20 people that really rely on you and yeah, you, you want to be vulnerable, but there's a chance that your vulnerability makes other people feel vulnerable too. It's a really difficult one, right? I'd challenge some of it, to be honest. Um, you know, I think, again, I talked about it, you know, a few few moments ago about feeling safe to open up about something and the fear of judgment. And if you are a CEO or if you are in a leadership role, there, there can be a big fear of judgment, right? I fear the judgment of my team. They're, they're going to think I can't do this. They're not going to trust me. They don't want to work for me. They're going to be scared that their job's under threat because, you know, the business is falling apart because I'm falling apart. Uh, and look, I've, I've been there. I'm not. I'm not, um, I'm no saint in this because I felt very much like that, um, running Sanctus. Yeah, it's not always true. And I think it often paints a picture of, um, employees in a certain way, to be honest, it often paints a picture of the employee of saying, well, they're not going to be able to handle it. If I tell them that I'm struggling, mm. you know, they're going to, they're going to freak out. That may be true that that may not so i'm not doubting that for any leader it's extreme it can feel extremely hard 
to show any form of vulnerability to um you know your team even to the extent of saying something like i don't know you know as a leader if you get asked what we should do you know you always feel like or you might always feel like you need to give an answer or, or a sense of direction when the honest thing might be i haven't got a clue <laughs> yeah um yeah. and that can feel really difficult i think for i think i'd challenge any leader to reflect on how true the statement is initially and just because I think there can just be a quite instant, and I can't do that, you know, without really thinking, well, what is it I feel like I can't do and why? You know, what's the worst thing that could happen? So that moment of reflection, I think, can be really helpful. I think then secondly, I think leaders have to have some support around them and places where, you know, one can be as they are, one can be really yeah. vulnerable um because then in those spaces you know you might get the support that then gives you enough of enough energy enough resilience to confidently talk about how you are um feeling or what might be going on and that's also a choice as well you know not every leader has to start you know that start talking about their personal life or what's going on in front of their whole team that that's a choice um the reason i think we're talking about it and i mention it is because we know now that leaders who show vulnerability and who do bring more of their humanity and their personality into their work do create great trust with their teams. And it does work yeah. just from a practical yeah. leadership perspective. But in general, I, I do think there's a bit of a story we tell ourselves as CEOs or leaders or founders of whether that people won't take it. People can't take it. If I tell them I'm struggling, they won't handle it. And, yeah, I question that both for myself and for others that I actually do think people can take it. You know, they've heard, probably heard worse in their life, actually. And actually, if they hear their, you know, their manager say that they're struggling, it might actually give them permission to, to put their hand up and say me too. Yeah, I've definitely found that easier in more recent years. And I suppose part of that is having sort of when the first time I talked about it with the team, it was, it was a retrospective thing. It was like, this had already happened. You didn't really know about it, but here's what happened. And it almost felt like because I then told them a story that involved everything didn't fall off a cliff, then did it. It sort of felt like it made it easier to talk about it in the moment a bit more, you know, when it's happened more recently. So yeah, I think you might be right there that, you know, sometimes, you know, I think sometimes just as people, let alone as managers or entrepreneurs or whatever labels, you know, just as people, we often just take on more than we need to, don't we? We're trying to protect people. We're trying to protect them. And that's a great thing, isn't it? It's, you know, it's like, I remember when I was first struggling, my mum was like, why did you say anything? Right. And, and I didn't, I didn't tell, I wasn't scared of judgment from my mum. There's no way my mum would ever judge me, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to worry her. And people say this all the time. And I think it's probably this, a lot of that in leadership, a lot of martyrdom of like, oh, I just don't want people to worry. The other thing from the book I wanted to talk about was you talk about boundaries. And it really made me think because I think sometimes the conversation around not just mental health, but just in general, the idea of psychological safety, um, the idea of, um, you know, making um, workplaces as inclusive as possible. All of this kind of leads us to a place where 
we have to be more open with emotions. We have to talk about empathy more. There has to be more of a sense of a vulnerability in some of those conversations. And, you know, sometimes I guess what can happen from that is you find yourself just out of your depth. And I loved your honesty in there of saying, like, I'm not a practitioner. Um, there's some stuff that I don't know if you're in a really dark place. And like, as your manager, it's not actually for me to to sort of diagnose that or step into that. So that was just a really interesting um, thing that just stopped me in my tracks a bit and made me think. And so do you want to just talk a bit about boundaries and how do you navigate that? Yeah, it came up a lot for me when I first started to write about mental health um, because straight away, if I'm sharing my experience, I am naturally inviting people to connect with me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you write something on social media, that's what you're doing. You know, you're, you're, you're open for comment, for reaction. So there's naturally, uh, a, you know, there's, there's, there's bound, bound, a, an issue of boundaries come up. And now look, I'll be honest. I've never heard of the word boundaries other than playing cricket. Um, <laughs> but, you know, spend a bit, spend a bit of time with coaches or therapists or supervisors in the mental health space, anyone adequately trains and the word will come up because a boundary is there to keep you and the person you're in a conversation or relationship with safe. Um, a boundary can be rules. A boundary can be a personal, um, you know, place of somewhere you can't stretch yourself beyond, um, so they're very important for keeping people safe and comfortable and protected in, in especially in intimate conversations. And for example, a boundary for me to be open about when writing the book is that I am not a practitioner. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a coach. I am James who has had a set of experiences with mental health and has built a mental health business. And I'm going to share those experiences. This book is not here or designed for your healing or your mm, growth. Yeah. And that was me really setting the stall out on who I am, what I can do and what I can't do. Now, what that does in that example is it makes me feel much more comfortable about writing. So I wrote about some pretty, you know, pretty important stuff. I write about suicide in the book, for example. Um, and because of that frame and I felt able to write about suicide in the way that I've experienced it, in the way that I know it, not presenting this immortal truth. Um, and it also protects the reader or whoever you're having the conversation with of knowing, you know, what they're dealing with basically and what they can come to you with. It, it is, it's, it's incredibly important when we get into more intimate relationships in the workplace in particular, like man, like managerial relationships, because the lines and the boundaries there can start to get really blurred. As you've just mentioned, if we, as a workplace culture are inviting people to bring more of who they are, you know, we've, we're inviting people to bring their ethnicity, their sexual orientation. Um, we're opening up spaces to talk about gender dynamics or about mental health. You know, we're, we're bringing in a lot of, emotional information a lot of uh you know personally sensitive stuff and we've all got to be honest about 
our boundaries about where we can go to, you know, and and where we feel comfortable and where we are the right person to support someone. Um, so, you know, if you've got someone who you're managing who's coming to you every single week talking about how they can't get out of bed in the morning, how they don't feel motivated for work, and you're their manager or you're in HR, you can support that person as um, a colleague within the boundaries of your role. So you might be able to say, okay, well, you know, could we be flexible about the times you start or look at your workload or the projects you're working on? You maybe could ask them a few open questions about what else is going on in their life. But if you get into what might feel like a sort of counseling or therapeutic conversation where you're starting to unpack that person's feelings or they're, they're sharing with you a lot of information about what's going on in your life, well, there's a boundary issue there. You've crossed a boundary into a place that it's unlikely that you're qualified to be in because that's more of a, a client-type relationship as if you were a therapist. And I think the most important thing people can do is be really honest with themselves and with others about where their boundaries are. You know, yeah. even saying something like, look, I've never struggled with depression before. I have no feelings towards it. Like I've just not gone there. I've not, you know, I've got people in my life that have struggled. So if someone's coming to me with that, I can say, look, this isn't something I feel like I can help you with. That's a really great thing to say because it's so clear. And then it opens up other opportunities for support for someone. So the Brené Brown thing, clear is kind, unclear is unkind, right? Um, and I suppose the other thing, just to reflect on that, is that often like a, a colleague, you know, relationship or a, a, a sort of, you know, line managerial relationship at work, I mean, it they become friendships, don't they? And so we have, to, I suppose we have the same issue when friends of ours might come and, you know, and bring those kind of, um, you know, that kind of data. And then it's like your first instinct is always to try and help your friends, right? And support your friends. So it can be really, I think it can be really difficult sometimes to kind of know like where that boundary is and just like where, where to draw some of those lines, right? Yeah. I have it all the time, like with my, uh, with my partner, Sarah, she, you know, I might sort of slip, slip into like asking her like some like coaching questions. I might say, I oh, like what? They tell me more about that. And she can rightly say, James, you know, go away. I don't know if I can swear. Um, I want you to just be my boyfriend. Like just be, you know, be you. Don't try and be something you're not. And that's ultimately what it is about boundaries. Be authentically you and your remit of work, who you are and who you're not. And, and that's the best thing you can do when sort of advocating or, or creating a, a connection around mental health with someone. Yeah, I love that. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about from the book was the the story about octopus energy really struck me. And I've, um, I've had Greg, Greg Jackson on the podcast before um, as well. But I just think their culture is really remarkable. And this whole idea of one of their values is just being straightforward, which... Um, just reading, you know, your writing and the, and the way you put yourself out there. One of the things I love about it is just how just open you are and straightforward and like to the point you are with a, with a lot of that stuff. But the thing is, like, if we just work in a way that's going to out behave everybody else 
and work in a way that um, is so focused on making sure that the customer feels really good at the end of interactions, then we will win. We don't have to be the smartest. We don't have to be the cheapest, whatever. Like this is the way to win is to outbehave and to use this idea of being straightforward. Um, yeah, like I'd just love to um, hear your thoughts on Octopus Energy and like your experiences of, of working with them and what it's like, you know, kind of in, inside the organization. We actually don't work with Octopus Energy, we're with Octopus Group. So it's not Swiss group, but um, kind of one and the same there. They're, they're the octopus at the end of the day. Um, we just don't work with that particular tentacle. Are they going to um, have eight tentacles? Is that the idea? I imagine so, yeah. yeah. I'm sure. I'm I never sure thought of that. Well, Simon, the founder, would love to have eight. Yeah. If they've not already got eight octopus businesses, that would probably be the, the goal, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, look, they're, they're, they've been a partner of Sanctus's for, for a long time, early advocate. Um, Simon, the founder and CEO, has been a, a great sort of mentor to me actually on the Sanctus journey, and it, it was it was quite striking for me talking not just to them but to loads of different businesses about you know their approaches to mental health. As I was researching for the book, I wanted to speak to just kind of diverse businesses about their approach to mental health in the workplace. How you know how are you building an organisation where people can talk about mental health openly and what are the what are the benefits of that and and how do you do it and so many of the things people do are just like you know frighteningly simple um and and it's the whole thing with mental health in general like actually a lot of the stuff we end up talking about is is how to talk to each other you know how to listen this is like basic human behaviors that are you know desperately difficult to do and octopus is a great example of you know their culture about everything is guided by their values one of their values is being straightforward as you mentioned so for them it's quite a straightforward thing that mental health impacts all of their employees and all of their customers and everyone so let's invest in the mental health of our employees and give them great benefits great perks let's really look after them so that they can do their job really well and then delight our customers mm. you know it's it's pretty basic to be yeah. honest it's yeah. not you know it's not <laughs> it's not that complex and it's the same with many you know many many businesses who've got you know, positive cultures around how people can show up and, and how much of their humanity they can bring at work. It, it, it's often guided by some pretty straightforward principles. Yeah, and I guess there's a sort of sense of care and generosity being something that if you if you feel that from the culture that you're working in, you're much more likely to, you know, you're being an abundance mentality to then pass that on to customers, to pass that on to colleagues. You know, this stuff really perpetuates itself, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Which, it, which to us, and you just said, it's so simple, so simple. Yeah, it, it's culture that stops people seeing that. So, so obviously, love it. We've just got a few minutes left, and we've not talked about productivity. So, I'm going to finish up by asking you about that. So, um, I'd love to know what you think the relationship is between productivity and mental health and are there some things that you do around your own productivity that are very conscious of of you know good mental health and and you know having the right kind of work-life balance and so on i mean 
you know, if you're struggling with your mental health, you're, you're probably not going to be productive. Uh, although having said that, there's probably a lot of people struggling with their mental health who are extremely productive. Um, so it's not it's not massively black and white. Um, I I think productivity, you know, I'll be honest, I can have a bit of a, um, can be a bit of a Marmite phrase for me. I yeah, think. yeah, yeah, me too. There's parts, <laughs> parts of the productivity yeah. world that have been, you know, they've been, it's all about, it's all about doing more, doing more faster, making more money. And it can be, it can be difficult for, um, for how you might feel. You might feel like you're not doing enough or you should be doing more, which can be, can be difficult feelings to sit with. Um, I think one of the things about a wider exploration of who you are and just your mental health quite broadly is that, you know, you can really start to learn about yourself, not only what excites you and what fills you up and where you feel purposeful. And obviously, if you need to be productive around something, if it's something you love, you probably got more chance of being productive um, and, and getting stuff done. I think also though through a through a deeper exploration of of yourself you can figure out you know what what supports you to work well where you work best when you work best what environmental conditions do you need to be in for you to work best do you need to be around people do you like working remotely you know what gives you energy what doesn't um so I think through an exploration of of your mental health I think you might rightly question what you're being productive on and what yeah. you know, what you value in your life and what you want to be working on. But I think you can definitely find out, um, yeah, what supports you to, to be energized and to be, um, to be kind of emotionally available to give yourself to whatever, whatever your tasks are. Um, personally, I'm not, not really much of like a hacky, you know, like people get very into this, like productivity hacks. Yeah, and like, yeah. I've done all that. And um, for me, it was just a bit too much like hard work. I think I found that, you know, it meant that it was all about just how much could I squeeze out of my day and how much could I squeeze out of myself. And that, that wasn't a good feeling for me. Um. However, you know, I've, I'd like to think I've done, done a decent amount in, in my time on, on this earth. So I, so I clearly can be very productive um, when I want to be. I think, I think the things that help me to be really productive are, are really just when I want to do it. And it's such a boring answer, isn't it? Um, so abstract. But, you know, when I am really engaged in something and when it really lights my fire, I just don't even think about it. Yeah. I don't need to write a to-do list. I don't need to talk to anyone about it. It just gets done and it gets done very, very quickly because that's how I work. So for me, it's more about the emotional connection to my work. If I feel that and I feel passionate, it just happens. Um, in terms of writing my book, that was quite a test of productivity because, you know, you've got, you've, you've done it six times, I think you said, you know, you can be emotionally connected, but it's still a slog. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, it's still a slog, no matter how much yeah. you love it. And the real thing that changed the game there for me was, was community actually. So I joined a writing community and I logged on every morning and I was in a silent virtual zoom library writing. Others. And yeah, that was a massive game changer for me um, in terms of, 
been able to consistently produce because there was the accountability and there was also the sense of belonging. So, yeah, wouldn't have expected to say that actually, um, but it made a real difference for me. That's a really interesting one. I'm just sat there as you were saying that and thinking sometimes it's a slog because you're emotionally invested, right? Where it's like, this just becomes this, you know, I want to say this in the best possible way. And like, I know that this gets printed on, you know, real paper that people are going to, you know, put on their shelf for years and years. And so it just becomes this thing that because you're so invested, it becomes harder to, to do it. But yeah, I love the idea that through community, I guess community shows you that the way to write is to run your hand along the keyboard. Right. And then there's an awful lot of things that I do that I confuse with writing, but they don't actually involve running my hands along the keyboard. And it's like, on some level, you have to kind of finish by uh, by doing that. So um, um, that feels like a really good um, place because we're talking about the book to uh, to wind up. So mental health at work and how can people find out about Sanctus and connect with you and um, just uh, share anything that you'd like to share before we finish? Best place to connect with me is on LinkedIn. Um, James Routledge on LinkedIn. You'll, you'll find me there. I'm, I'm very active there little bit less active on Instagram at, at JD Routledge and then Sanctus is, is Sanctus on, on all platforms. So website sanctus.io and then, yeah, you find us again on LinkedIn and Instagram. Brilliant. James, thank you so much for being on Beyond Busy. Cheers, Graham. This video is sponsored by Think Productive, home of the Productivity Ninja. We help people and organizations to increase their impact and make space for what matters through a range of workshops, programs and coaching head to thinkproductive.com to find out more. Are you interested in booking me as a speaker for your event? You want to sign up for my Rev Up for the Week email? Do you want to buy some of my books? Or do you just want to find out what I'm doing right now? It's all at grahamalcott.com forward slash links. And if you like this video, please like, subscribe and share so we can make more. Thanks for watching. So there you go, James Routledge and yeah, James just doing fascinating and, and really much needed work. So um really happy to support James and everything that he's doing. Thanks to Penguin for helping us set that one up and to Pavel and Emily, my amazing podcast team. And also thanks to Think Productive, our sponsors for the show. So if you would like help with helping your team to make space for what matters, if you want to drive productivity, if you want to invest in work-life balance, if you want to tackle problems like too many meetings, too many emails, and so on, then drop us a line. It's thinkproductive.com. And from there, you can find your local Think Productive office, whether you're in the US, the UK, Western Europe, Australia, the Middle East, we can help you and we have people near you. So thinkproductive.com and you can find out lots more there. And other than that, just want to say I hope you're well. I hope January is treating you well. It's been pretty cold here in the UK, but I've been out on the paddleboard on the sea. I've been writing... Um, as I record this we're kind of 17 days into the new year and I'm probably nearly that many words on my word count for the new book which is all about kindness in leadership so uh, getting some words down and um, just feeling a bit more in the groove with the book than I was at the end of last year for various reasons the book got kind of put on the back burner a bit and uh, it just feels really good to be back 
kind of in flow, picking that up, just reading a lot, writing a lot, and just immersing myself in the creative process of this book. So it's a long one. It feels like it feels like it's going to be chunky and might need quite a big edit. So sorry, Celia, if you're listening to this, but there's a lot to edit. Um, but also it feels like something that has a lot of energy around it and it feels really important. It, it honestly feels like as I'm writing it, it feels like there's, there's an urgency around what I'm writing and I'm just really excited to share it with everyone. Obviously, it takes like a year after I've written it before I can actually share it with people. But that's um, that's just the nature of publishing and books and all of that. But it feels good to be back on the horse and, you know, really just enjoying the process. So that's where I'm at as we sort of head into the, the latter part of January as you're listening to this. So I hope you're well. I hope your year is off to a good start. Every Sunday, I'm sending out this email. It's called Rev Up for the Week. And the idea is it's a positive or productive idea into your inbox. It's 4.05 p.m. UK time on a Sunday. It goes out and it's just one productive or positive idea for the week ahead. So if you're not signed up to that, if you just go to grahamalcott.com forward slash links, and then you'll see a little button there for the Rev Up for the Week email. On grahamalcott.com, you'll just find like little forms and stuff, which you can just fit in any, any of those and sign up for Rev Up for the Week. Um, and then the other thing I'm doing is a bit of speaking. So if you're interested in bringing me into your company to speak, then Emily deals with all of my speaking inquiries. You can get hold of her at emily at grahamalcott.com. She's uh, spelt E-M-I-L-I-E. So Emily at grahamalcott.com if you want to get me into your company to speak. I've got a couple of really good ones coming up actually February and March, which I'm really looking forward to. One with a new client that I've not worked with before and then one with a client I've worked with a few times. So I'm um, really looking forward to those and a couple of other things that are, are bubbling away. Um, but really also just trying to keep myself locked down in the shed. It feels like the best kind of time of year to be writing a lot of words for the book. You know, it's cold, it's uh, dark and the mornings are dark and it feels like the best time to just hunker down and um, and get this book written so that's what I'm doing as we start the year trying to reply to emails but not in the moment and just stay out the inbox and and stay really in the zone with the writing which is going well so far I'm enjoying it I'm, I'm having a really nice it feels like a gentle but very purposeful start to the year so hope you're experiencing something similar I hope you're having a good January and gearing up for, uh, if you're in my part of the world, the weather getting a bit warmer and um, moving into a bit of a different phase. feels like it's coming and it feels like it's uh, it's much needed too. So I hope you're well. We'll see you in two weeks' time. We've got a really brilliant one in two weeks, actually. Um, it's Sarah Stein Greenberg, who has written this amazing book, Creative Acts for Curious People. So it's all about creativity, lots of techniques which you can use to help solve problems, bring about innovation in whatever you are doing and um, it's brilliant I've just been reading the book it's yeah it's it's a beautiful book and I think you're going to really enjoy the conversation with Sarah so that's in two weeks time we'll see you then so until then take care bye for now